Well, welcome to the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable time with me. And before we begin, I want to welcome new supporters of the podcast, Henry Sims, Dr. Christina Cleveland, and Donna Blevins. For those of you who would like to support the Black Madonna Speaks, there are many ways to do that and lots of wonderful benefits in store as we enter the divine season of darkness here in the Northern Hemisphere, especially for Advent and the Holy Nights. Before we can get to those amazingly holy seasons, the festival that precedes Advent is Michaelmas, more popular in Europe, specifically with Catholics and Orthodox Christians, Michaelmas is the festival of the Archangel Michael. This festival is also celebrated in the Christian community as well as Waldorf schools. The Archangel Michael is often pictured or associated with Black Madonnas throughout Europe, most notably at the Jasnogora Shrine in Czestochowa, Poland, and at Mont Saint-Michel in France. I had the honor of presenting an entire series on the Archangel Michael and Mont Saint-Michel at the Christian Community in Edinburgh, Scotland. For those of you who would have liked to have attended, but the commute was a bit much from North America or South Africa, never fear, the talks have been taped, and for a $15 donation through PayPal, you can receive the entire series the papers that accompanied each talk, and a PDF of the slides. At the time of this recording of this podcast, we are in the midst of Michaelmas as it's a four-week season. So I thought I would explore this interesting Black Madonna during the festival of this most special archangel, the Black Madonna of Mont Saint-Michel. Mont Saint-Michel is a UNESCO World Heritage Site off the coast of Normandy. One of the many wonders of Mont Saint-Michel is the presence of a Black Madonna. As is true with so many Black Madonnas of Europe, this image has quite a narrative story of discovery, transport across continents, of being placed in shrines, churches, and cathedrals along the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. Another common thread that this Black Madonna shares with many others is how the Knights Templar brought back many of the Black Madonnas to the European continent from the Holy Land. It is thought that several of the Black Madonnas of the Holy Land were placed along the Camino by the returning knights. There have been many approaches to both the mysteries as well as the spiritual practices of each subsequent era that the mountain island has witnessed in its journey through time. First, there were Druids and Irish hermits celebrating their god of the sun, Bellinus, on this mountain island. In fact, the ancients called this place the Portus Bellinus, or the Tomb of Bellinus. And Bellinus is the Celtic god of the sun. Later, the Romans displaced the Irish hermits on the island and established a Mithraeum in an underground temple. Mithraeums are temples uh, dedicated to the god Mithras, which has a lot to do with the sun. 
Archaeologists claim that the mountain island was a burial ground used until the 8th century as such, which led to the ancient name of the area as Mount Tomb. With the spread of Christianity on the European continent, many shrines and ritual areas transformed into Christian centers. Archaeologists and historians theorize that Mont Saint-Michel was part of the tin route between Cornwall and Marseille. Because of the connection with Roman trading routes, we know that the goddess Kibbele was worshipped along such routes. Kibbele is known as the Great Mother to the Romans, as Kibbele is a Greek name. There's been an image of a dark mother associated with Mont Saint-Michel, documented since the time of the Christians. A black Madonna was brought to Mont Saint-Michel in 867 by Bernard Lesage, although this date may be off by a few years. He was a 9th century Frankish monk who went by the names of Bernard the Pilgrim, Bernard Francus, and Bernard the Wise. By all accounts, Bernard was quite the traveler, producing a travel log from the 9th century called the Itinerarium. This book documents Bernard's travels around the Mediterranean, Italy, Egypt, the Holy Land, and France. Accompanied by two monks, one, Beneventan Theodmund, and a Spaniard named Stephen, and apparently Stephen has no last name. Bernard documents his encounters with sacred sites and different people, recording his impressions. English translations of his travels, the itinerarium, are available online and quite entertaining. The precise date of Bernard's travels remains unclear, and it is an issue which continues to be contested by historians. Some have claimed that Bernard traveled over a period of three years, from 867 to 870. The monk's acquirement of papal permission for his trip from Pope Nicholas I, who died in 867, has been cited as evidence for the start year for Bernard's travels. Other historians suggest that there's no reason to believe that Bernard could not have traveled in the years preceding the Pope's death. However, theorizing that the trip occurred anywhere between the years of 865 and 871 seems to be the consensus as to when all of this happened. It is of note that Bernard visited many of the shrines along St. Michael's Sword, the energetic line that connects many churches and shrines dedicated to the Archangel Michael, from Skellig Michael in Ireland to the Carmelite Abbey in Palestine. His final destination is Mont Saint-Michel, where he apparently settled to live out his life. This fact causes one to wonder if the dates were off in terms of when the Black Madonna from the Holy Land was brought to the Mont Saint-Michel. There was another Black Madonna at the site, a crypt of Our Lady of the Underground. She was moved to another chapel 
known as Our Lady of the Thirty Candles. Bernard's Black Madonna was placed in an underground cave and became known as Our Lady of the Underworld. It is not recorded if this cave was a Mithraeum or not, but the vestiges of this area are now part of the western crypt of the Mont Saint-Michel Shrine, which also goes by the same name as the Madonna. Bernard's Madonna stayed in the crypt until the French Revolution, where she was dragged off her altar, condemned and burned at the stake as a show of enlightenment by the invading terrorists, I mean freedom-fighting soldiers intent on teaching those monks a lesson at the shrine. The Madonna currently displayed in the crypt of Mont Saint-Michel is a plaster copy of the original. Apparently, this image now on display was in some closet that was not opened by the terrorists, I mean the enlightened Napoleonic Madonna-burning soldiers. This copy was considered of no artistic value. The modern monastic committee wanted to keep alive the presence of a dark mother who had been part of the spiritual tradition of Mont Saint-Michel since ancient times. They brought her out of the closet and put her proudly in the crypt. The location of Mont Saint-Michel is quite profound, as is its geology. In a certain way, Mont Saint-Michel can be considered a continent on its own, since it's really more of a mountaintop rather than an island or part of a peninsula. The locals consider Mont Saint-Michel from beyond time, in that the land encompasses all the elements before they were separated, air, earth, and water. The Mont is on two star paths or pilgrim routes, the Sword of St. Michael that I mentioned before, as well as one of the more traveled ancient star routes now considered to be part of the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. As I have said many times, in fact, you can listen to the Black Madonna Speaks podcast on the Camino de Santiago de Compostela for a more complete exploration of the subject. But there are many ways to understand the Camino. The information on the Camino is quite robust, ranging from highly esoteric sources to materialistic historical documentation. We learn through esoteric and anthroposophical sources that the stars and planets have actually imprinted themselves onto the earth. Our planet came from the original bursting forth that created our universe. Every living thing, including our bodies, carries the imprint and elements of this event. And the earth also resonates from this experience. We also know that through various ages, there has been a distancing between humanity and the spiritual world in order for humanity to develop freedom and independence. Through this increasing distancing and dimming of consciousness of the spiritual world, many of the correspondences between the heavens and the earth 
correspondences between certain constellations on earthly geography developed into what is termed a mystery center. These mystery centers can be understood as call centers, modern terminology, my term, where individuals visited these mystery centers to receive messages from the spiritual world through oracles and initiates. The Oracle of Delphi is an example, as well as Stonehenge and other places. The initiates would undergo era-specific ordeals in order to comprehend the mysteries of the age. The initiates would in turn convey messages and mysteries to the public, so to speak, from the spiritual world at these centers. The roots and correspondences between individual stars in the heavens and on earth where the mystery centers were built were known as star roots. The most striking example is the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, a.k.a. the Way of the Stars, most popularly known in northern Spain. Now, there are many, many branches to the Compostela, but the most commonly known is the one in northern Spain. The dictum, as above, so below, takes on a profound meaning when we consider this imprinting nature of the universe on the earth. The Camino is seen as a path of modern initiation, that of the new mysteries, which involve Christ-based consciousness. The three great star routes in Europe since megalithic times are as follows. Northern Spain from Cape Finisterre through Compostela, presently considered the main northern Camino route, Brittany, and starting from Ireland through the south of England across the Channel through to Italy, Greece, and ending in Israel. The latter star route is obviously the Sword of St. Michael. Before Christianity, this line was called the Apollo-Athena line. For me, this is interesting and profound because of the connection between the god of the sun, Apollo, and the goddess of wisdom, Athena. Pondering the connection between the sun and wisdom has great meaning within the context of the age of Michael and the deeds of this archangel concerning leading cosmic thoughts within the universe. Continuing on this theme of the Black Madonna as being placed along the Camino by the Knights Templar, you've heard in many of my other talks and podcasts, along with esoteric studies of the order, that the knights were great students of both etheric geography as well as the stars. Considering these facts and connections, why did the knights place these dark images of Madonnas along the Camino? And why are there so many black Madonnas who were brought before the age of the Crusades located in places of spiritual and energetic power?
We will now digress to a seemingly unrelated story in, of all places, the Balkans. But I now reside in these lands, so it's fun for me to insert them whenever possible. In his landmark book, Nature Spirits and Elementals by Marco Pogosnik, he relates an experience he had at the Jerusalem Shrine in Slovenia, and that's Jerusalem with a Z. This small shrine was built by the Knights Templar who gifted the site with an image of a Black Madonna during the era of the Crusades. Through various ages and differing religious and political situations, the Black Madonna was moved from her original place on a pillar in the center of the main chapel to a side altar in the room. When Pogosnik came upon the building a few decades ago, he felt a tremendous presence of stagnation and pain, specifically from a being he recognized in various other sacred places he had visited. He perceived the energetic being as that of a dark goddess, the goddess of transformation, who had originally had a black Madonna to represent her in the center of the chapel. By placing the black Madonna at a side altar, the action had disturbed the vortex of energy which the building had been built around. Through his meditations, chants, and participation of his co-workers at the site, the focus of the vortex had been restored, and the energy began to flow once again, even though the statue of the Black Madonna remained on the side altar. When I read of this experience, it was as if I had been in the blocked vortex myself, and my energy and focus had been restored after reading this passage. I've attempted to communicate with Pogosnik on his experience with the Slovenian Black Madonna, and he simply replied to me that I was, quote, on to something, unquote. We can hope that I will have an opportunity to discuss his experience at a greater depth some point in the future. Fingers crossed and prayers to all the angels in During the first Easter after my mother's death, I had an extraordinary opportunity to very much delve into a section of mysteries regarding the Christ and was invited by a dear friend to do so. This study helped me to start to orient myself to Black Madonnas in general and it is through the esoteric understanding of as above, so below. And the current drama we are involved in regarding the transformation of the cosmos. You have heard me before, but I will say it again. We humans were designed to be the 10th hierarchy in the angelic community. We were created to help transform the cosmos of wisdom into the cosmos of love. A tall task, mainly because we humans are young and inexperienced in the community of the spheres and also have been given freedom. 
our inexperience with and misuse of our freedom is documented in the fall of man, known through the Genesis account of creation. The remedy for the fall is through the Christ event, which began at the moment of our expulsion from the Garden of Eden. It was aided by the mystery of Golgotha and is unfolding as we speak. In a series of statements by Rudolf Steiner explaining the explosion of Mount Vesuvius, he spoke briefly about, quote, the interior of the earth. The very, very abbreviated version of this thread is that there are nine interior layers of the earth that are spiritual levels of challenges to humanity in their efforts. Some of the most obscure activities of Christ occurred between the hours of his death on the cross and his resurrection. The Gospels speak little, as do the original Christian creeds, about what he was doing. Essentially, these sources state that he died and then he rose after a period of time. Some of the most complete discussions of his activity are actually found in The Interior of the Earth, which is a collection of lectures on the subject by Rudolf Steiner. Another book that I highly recommend is The Inner Life of the Earth, Exploring the Mysteries of Nature, Subnature, and Supernature, which is a collection of essays edited by Paul O'Leary, and The Descent into the Depths of the Earth on the Anthroposophical Path of Schooling by Judith von Hall. A very brief overview of what Christ was doing during this time between his crucifixion and resurrection was that he was laying golden seeds of transformation in each layer of the interior of the earth that would be worked upon in tandem with humanity during our current era, the era of the return of Christ in the etheric. I had an entire workshop on this topic last winter, and the material will be in a future book on the Black Madonna as connector between the heavens and the earth. So stay tuned. If you would like copies of the tapes of those lectures, message me and I will get you the information on that. Throughout Europe, but specifically the Iberian Peninsula, there are specific categories of Madonnas. Sometimes in the same church or cathedral, there are both black and white Madonnas. The black Madonnas represent the earth, and the white Madonnas represent spirit. For me, the concept of the dark goddess relayed by Pogosnik that has been elaborated on through other authors, specifically Hetian Globler, through her artistic work on Mary, the Black Madonna, and now the Red Madonna, Pogosnik also talks about a triple goddess, a black, white, and red iteration of the divine feminine, where the black one is considered the goddess of transformation. It struck me how the Black Madonnas are usually associated with caves, are buried, 
covered with earth, and so on, and that the places where they are discovered are usually power points, sacred sites that have been sacred for millennia, usually accompanied with some sort of dark goddess or dark mother goddess. It is also quite interesting to me personally that the Black Madonna has exploded in consciousness since the decade after the exploding of the atomic bomb. Of note, in the years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the dogma of the ascension of Mary became official in the Catholic Church, and a formal study of the Black Madonnas was completed by the American Academy of the Advancement of Science. Obviously, the Black Madonna has been adored for over a thousand years, specifically during the Middle Ages, the Crusades to be exact. But it is interesting to me personally the timing of the development of both the dogma and interest in Mary and the Black Madonna in our modern era. While many Black Madonnas were brought from the Holy Land and from North Africa in the early Christian centuries, a large number were brought to the continent during the era of the Crusades, specifically by the Knights Templar. Rudolf Steiner tells us that the era of the Crusades was the era of the preparation for the age of consciousness soul, the age we are living in now. He also tells us that one of the ideals of the Knights Templar was for humanity to have the Apostle Paul's Damascus experience, meaning perceiving Christ in the etheric. In esoteric and anthroposophical Christianity, it is recognized that Christ has reappeared as promised during his ascension documented in Revelation 1, verse 7, that he will come again in the clouds. The esoteric meaning of clouds is the etheric realm, the life realm. Rudolf Steiner was one of the first to announce the imminent return of Christ in the etheric, and other philosophers have put that date at 1933. I also understand that there are other verses and beliefs that no one will know the date when he returns, but those who have found the date as 1933, is quite, it, the, the scholarship is quite profound. And also when you look at what was going on during that time, it's very profound. One of the main tasks of our current age is to perceive individually and collectively Christ in the etheric realm. In addition to the reappearance of Christ in the etheric, Christ has been penetrating the spiritual spheres of the interior of the earth and working in tandem with humanity to transform these layers. The different layers on the interior of the earth have evil associated with them, hence the need for transformation. 
And when these layers are disturbed, often quite a bit of chaos and evil is unleashed upon the planet. What is of specific issue is that the current cycle of transformation we are undergoing in collaboration with the Christ is the transformation of the eighth layer, which is known as the divisive layer. A very casual overview of current events since the date given to us that Christ is penetrating this layer He began the penetration in June of 2016. It's quite evidence of how divisive everything is on every level of existence everywhere on earth at present. Our task is to transform this, but we need help from the spiritual world, specifically the Archangel Michael, the Divine Sophia, and the Christ. For me, the presence of a dark goddess, ultimately a black Madonna, on a PowerPoint which crosses both the Sword of St. Michael, and the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, as does Mont Saint-Michel, it's quite profound and meaningful that the Madonna has been called Our Lady of the Underground, associated with tombs, caverns, caves, for me points to the transformative nature of this image. Unsubstantiated claims of Templar involvement on Mont Saint-Michel are also of note. That is, it was the staging ground for their journeys to Scotland and the Baltics, which may hint at their understanding of this connection as well. For me, all of this makes sense. The connection between the Black Madonna, Mont Saint-Michel, our current age, and our need to collaborate with the Archangel Michael to help bring cosmic intelligence to the earth and to transform the earth. The question is, will we answer the call? Thank you so much for spending your valuable time with me. I hope you were enriched by this exploration as much as I have been. And I also hope you tune in next week to hear our Artist of the Month interview with Leanne Oliver. I want you to know I feel great privilege that you, my listeners, are joining on this journey of the soul to help transform the earth. Blessings on your journey.